Melbourne musician Mark Hughes as I share the making of my new album under my project name Sans Mantra. Follow Sans Mantra Studio for insights into the world of songwriting, sessions, gigs and more. people welcome to another week of sans mantra studio this is episode 10 and i'm pretty happy to be in double digits can i tell you thank you for clicking on this if you haven't already please consider subscribing to my youtube channel or to this podcast on any of the streaming services whichever one you're listening to it on basically this week i've been busy mixing my next single this is called city shrink here's a sample of it So that's a sample of how the mix is going. It's not a finished mix as yet, but it's probably not that far off. I'm hoping to release this song in a few weeks' time, as I've mentioned earlier, I think, on previous episodes. So I need to have it ready to be uploaded for all the different streaming services. They say they recommend four weeks before your release date. So uh, we'll see how we go with that. I have to admit, it's been fun mixing again. I didn't mix the first single that I released last year. And coming back to mixing after having the benefit of hearing a mix by a professional mixer is fantastic because it gives you a very good reference point for what you probably should be going for technically. Having said that, I'm enjoying this time just diving into the process and kind of following my intuition. Um, For those that don't know a lot about the audio side of music, the technical mixing, you know, and mastering aspects of it, it's a whole other world where there are a lot of rules and theories and best practices, I guess, about how to go about doing things. And just a simple search on YouTube will bring up a huge list of, of different tutorials for how to mix your song. 
from people that are really, really qualified to tell you to people that probably don't have much more experience than yourself in some cases and everything in between. So just as there's a million ways to play an instrument, I think there's a million ways to mix a song. And because I'm a musician first and uh, I guess an engineer, I have that hat sometimes. I wear the hat of an engineer. I'm, an, I'm that second after being a musician. I'm not that worried about doing things neatly. I, I used to get a bit hung up about it and I'd read all these different magazine articles. There's a great English magazine called Sound on Sound, which apart from being very useful and having lots of great articles on the bread and butter, like the, the basics of how to do things in the studio, is quite amusing too because they have a section where they do mix reviews or it's called mix rescue or something like that mix sos i can't remember anyway what they do is they get a mix from someone at home you know a bedroom producer someone just working in their bedroom basically on their music and they send it in and they have one of their team remix it and nine times out of ten they it's a quantum leap between the mix that was sent in and the finished mix by one of the sound on sound guys, you know, in terms of quality. Um, sometimes there have been instances I remember reading where the person that sent it in wasn't happy with the mix and they had to go back and forward and do a few revisions to, um, to get the mix right. But this is the fascinating thing about mixing. It's as subjective as any other aspect of music. You know, one person's voice to one person will sound beautiful and, and to another person will sound like, you know, nails down a blackboard. So it's the same with mixing. Everyone hears things differently, although I think because of the way that we hear music, the way our ears are physically, physiologically, there are certain sets of frequencies that sound good to everyone. But getting back to the story, this um, particular segment, Mix Rescue, where they they'd redo mixes for people, for readers. This actually led me to dubbing Sound on Sound Hobbits Weekly because every single month there'd be a mention of chocolate hobnobs. So they'd go to the person's studio, they'd go to their house and they'd meet them and they'd always comment on the fact that and after we'd had a couple of hobnobs and a lovely cup of tea, I'm sure it's an English thing, but it just reminded me of the hobbits out of Lord of the Rings. So Sound on Sound became Hobbit Monthly in our house anyway i don't even know if sound on sound is in a magazine format still i think it is but it's certainly online so you can look it up i think you can subscribe to it if you want to but um, a very good magazine for um for novice home recorders <laughs> Anyway, getting back to my point about mixing this song, it's been very enjoyable to just follow my nose and and just do things that I think sound good, basically. So I'm sure there are quicker and easier ways to do some of the things that I'm doing, but I figure what I don't have in terms of a quick workflow, I can make up for with the fact that I'm not paying anyone to do it. So I can do this at my leisure to some extent, you know. When I first embarked on finishing these songs for my album under the Sans Mantra moniker, I had visions of taking my mixes and having them, you know, laid out on a beautiful analog desk, 
like the sort of desk that you see whenever you see a photo of, you know, someone in a cool studio. But unfortunately, that wasn't to be because, um, A, those studios are, are becoming rarer. And B, when I started getting my first song, The Silent Crowd, mixed last year, it was during lockdown. So I wasn't able to, to go into a studio with the mixer which was uh, a man named Hayden Buxton who did that wonderful job on The Silent Crowd. So I guess I'm in the same position as most other people mixing their stuff now, which is using a computer, using the plugins that are available within the software and doing it that way, which I think really the more I read about it, the more people are really doing that up at even, you know, the higher sort of echelons of, of the music business because these plugins are becoming more and more realistic in terms of emulating analogue hardware. People still argue, and I think there's still an argument for analogue warmth and clarity and things like that just a, an overall nice sort of sensation when you listen to it i mean if you listen to one of mark Knopfler's last albums i've read that he uses just nothing but the best gear you know i read an article once where he was going through his his gear that he uses in the studio and it was all top of the line stuff like analog hardware and and i listened to a track and straight away i could hear it i thought that just sounds incredible so there is a difference there but really whatever percentage is 80 or 90 or 95 percent of the music that you're consuming now when it's new new music releases are generally being mixed and mastered in the box as they say quote unquote in the box which means in the computer that makes me feel a bit better about mixing my stuff in the box, as it were, because everyone else is doing it. So you've just got to find a way to make it pop out, I guess. And as I've mentioned in previous episodes, I like to have a lot of parts in my songs. So the problem I find is having the definition of all those different parts and not having them sort of, you know, mush into to one big thing. Um, but that's a whole other discussion you know, arrangement versus mixing. Anyway, so that's what I'm doing this week. I'm mixing this song, City Shrink, and I'm planning to have it out before summer finishes because it is kind of a summery song. So for this week's Highly Recommended, I've made a playlist that I think is kind of in the same vein as City Shrink, the song I've just been talking about, which in my mind is kind of a dark sort of pop song, even though it's about summer and it's got a summer vibe, it's still, there's a lot of darkness in there. And that's the sort of pop song that I really like. It's sort of a mid-tempo brooding sort of track, really. I've also tried to include tracks that, I think possibly influence this song as well. I'll leave that up to you to decide. Um, might be a bit difficult given that City Shrink isn't actually out yet, but I'll be doing an episode, I think, on the track 
with a new playlist that might have some of these songs in it again anyway. But anyway, the first track is a classic song. This is the first song that put me on to Talking Heads, which I think on any given day might be my favourite band, actually. And this is The Lady Don't Mind, taken from their Little Creatures album, which was one of the first songs that I ever heard of theirs or that I really connected with. I just love the fact that I didn't think this when I first heard it, of course, but I love the fact now looking back and knowing a bit more about it. When I listen to it now, I realise there's only two chords in this song, but there's just so much light and shade. It's incredible. I love the brooding intensity of the groove of this song. And I love the enigmatic nature of the song itself I, I really don't know what it's about the clip that goes with this as well is equally enigmatic and quite arty which is typical of talking heads so i'd track that down on youtube as well it's well worth having a look at i'm actually reading david burns how music works book at the moment and i can highly recommend that as well actually that's quite fascinating he talks about the way that music has been shaped by the acoustic spaces that it's sort of sprung up in for instance a lot of classical music that's a bit slower came to be written to be played specifically for venues that had long reverbs so that if they had more notes then those notes would sort of mash up into each other and just would be messy so they created music that had less notes or longer notes whereas african music he talks about african music being very percussive and a lot of that was originally performed in open air spaces where there wasn't a lot of reverb there wasn't a lot of carry for the notes so you could do multiple notes in quick succession and it wouldn't all get sort of jumbled up so that's a really interesting book if you're interested in that sort of thing david burns just an endlessly fascinating character to me just listening to him sing or speak my friend Sal actually, I think, summed him up really well one day. He said, listening to him, he can imagine him throwing his head back and singing, just letting it kind of rip, you know, with his head thrown back. And I think he said that he pictured him in a big Hawaiian shirt for some reason, which somehow made perfect sense to me. Anyway, that's The Lady Don't Mind by Talking Heads. next track is Dinner with Dolores and by Prince and this is um, just a, a kind of random pop song that I just really really like it's from his Chaos and Disorder album which was I think an album that he did to fulfill his contractual obligation with Warner Brothers when he was trying to get out of his record contract because primarily they wouldn't let him release as much music as he wanted to he was that prolific and this song is pretty straightforward. I think the most noteworthy thing about it um, is that it's very similar to Ticket to Ride by the Beatles, I think. Not very similar. It's similar, I think, the opening riff to Ticket to Ride. I've always thought of it that way anyway. It's got that open A thing. Anyway, I really like this song. It's just a straightforward pop song. I'd 
shudder to think who it's about because I don't think he likes them very much, whoever it is. Uh, I used to think maybe it was his sister, Tyka, but I'm not really sure. If anyone listening has got any clues, please let me know. All right, this next song I think is the perfect pop song. I know that's a big call, but I think the build-up and the chorus, they're just incredible. They never fail to to hook me in. This is um, Senses Working Overtime by XTC. And I'm talking, of course, in the build-up where it goes... etc and I watched a doco recently where Andy Partridge the songwriter and uh, co-founder of XTC talked about how he wrote that song and I was incredibly surprised to hear that he actually wrote it to order and what I mean by that is it didn't come to him in a blinding flash of inspiration which is how it sounds to me whenever I hear it but he said they'd finished the album that it came from which is um, English Settlement and the record company said to them this is great, but we need a hit. Go off and write a hit. So Andy Partridge took that as a challenge and he went off and he thought about it. And he, in this doco, if you can probably find it on YouTube, but he talks about hit songs from the past. Now, this is quite an old song, of course. So this is written probably early 80s. And he's talking about songs from, I think, the 60s, where they had four, three, two, one, let's go, that sort of thing. I forget which songs exactly he's talking about, but he took that and he reversed it and he made it one, two, three, four, five. And he very cleverly turned that into five senses working overtime. And I always listened to this song and had this idea of the writer of it being this incredibly sensitive individual that was just overpowered by nature you know, he was just so sensitive that every stimuli just came in and, and took him over. And that's what, you know, his senses working overtime was all about. And I think subconsciously that's probably what it's about. Even though I've read a bit about Andy Partridge and I think he's probably quite a contradictory mix of all these different sort of characteristics of vulnerability and sensitivity as well as perhaps being a bully as well in terms of getting his own way. But, I mean, we're all a mix of contradictions. But that's how I always imagined the writer of this song being. And, and I loved it for that, that, uh, that reason. But I especially love the build-up. Anyway, so that's Senses Working Overtime by Andy Partridge, who I've got a, a real respect for, and he's moved further up my list of favourites as the years have gone on. Next up is World Where You Live by Crowded House off their debut album, way back in 1986, I think it was. And I was a bit reluctant to put big hit songs on this playlist, but it's a bit hard to avoid it sometimes because sometimes the stars align and the perfect song is also, 
incredibly accessible and becomes a commercial hit. So that's why this song is on there. I, I just uh, really dig it. It's really kind of dark and moody and brooding and um, very catchy all at the same time. So the next song after that is a great track by Sean Lennon called Friendly Fire. And then this is the title track from his album, Friendly Fire. I think about 2006 this came out. Now this is a great album. I can see a bit of a pattern here where I'm picking songs and then making excuses for the singer's voices. That's interesting to me in that I think I listened to probably the voice last, maybe. Although obviously it's there in the sonic makeup of everything that we listen to but what i'm trying to say in a very overly complicated way is that i don't think sean lennon's got the greatest voice it's a little bit froggy but if you can listen past that he's a great songwriter and this is a set of his best songs i think on friendly fire lots of twists and turns in the chords and interesting lyrics and lots of really um catchy and melodic instrumentation the next track is by the classically trained sitar player Anushka Shankar, the virtuoso, and also daughter of the very famous Ravi Shankar. This is a beautiful track called Crossing the Rubicon, all about refugees and the trials and tribulations that they undergo to try and reach a place that might be safer for their family. I was lucky enough to see Anushka Shankar with my wife a few years ago in Melbourne, and it's one of the best concerts I've ever been to. She's an absolute virtuoso on her instrument, but the music she plays is a mix of traditional Indian elements and a lot of very modern world music elements as well. And she was playing with a four-piece. She had a percussionist, uh, a keyboard player who also doubled on double bass, and she had someone that was playing like an Indian type of flute, basically. And she played this track, Crossing the Rubicon, and I remember I was moved to tears listening to it, and I turned and looked at my wife, and she had tears in her eyes as well. And then we looked around, and a lot of people that we could see in the audience were also moved to tears. So it was quite an amazing experience. And it's from an album called Land of Gold. It came out in 2016, and I would highly, highly recommend having a listen to this album. It's very accessible. If you've never listened to this type of instrumental music before, I think this would be a good one to dip your toes in and just um, check it out. The next track is a classic song by Stevie Wonder from his golden period in the mid-70s. This is a song called Visions, and it's taken from his Inner Visions album. And I believe that the guitar work on this heavily influenced the outro to my song City Shrink, which I'll probably talk more at length about when the single is actually released. But Visions by Stevie Wonder, what a great track. Just check it out. The next track is one of my favourite Jimi Hendrix tracks, and this is an underrated song, if you ask me. It's a song called Wait Until Tomorrow. The most notable thing about this song, I think, is the unsurprisingly incredible guitar work, but it's a riff that he keeps going through most of the song. It's just the most incredible rhythm playing. I haven't heard anyone really do this. I'm sure there are people that can probably play this song start to finish and cop all his licks and everything but I've never heard anyone do it I've heard people emulate Jimi Hendrix and do a great job of it and of course his guitar playing particularly his rhythm playing has influenced a whole style of music in guitar playing but I've never heard anyone do it as well as this and he does it all the way through the track 
fantastic, just a fantastic performance. The next one is a song called White Gloves by Krungbin, and this is just a really great retro sounding song i just love it they're semi-instrumental this band i think they started off they're a three-piece and they you know guitar bass drums and they have a lot of reverb on the guitar the guitar player is very into sort of 50s 60s type sounds i think but he's an excellent player but i think they've slowly moved towards more vocal type tracks so it could be a little bit different, the latter stuff. I haven't really kept up with them. This, this song's a few years old now, but White Gloves is a great track. The next song is by an Australian band called Died Pretty, and this is called DC. And I think with some more accessible lyrics, this could have been a huge hit because the music to this song is just amazing. The first few chords on the piano, while being very simple, are very, very moving, I find. There's a lot of emotion in the chord change itself. You might listen to it and go, what are you talking about? But that's how it affects me, and I really feel like this song could have gone a lot further if it, it had a more accessible lyric. It, it really, it's about someone named DC, which is their initials for a start. So we don't even really know their full name. I'm not criticizing the song. I'm just sort of making an observation about what propels a song further than just perhaps one country. I'm sure there are lots of other factors at, at stake with it to do with the record country and promo and all that sort of business. But yeah, it's hard not to think that this couldn't have gone further, this song. Anyway, an interesting anecdote about this song is that um, the lead singer, Ron S. Pino, once posed nude in Rolling Stone. Rolling Stone Australia, that is. I don't know why. <laughs> I guess he was just feeling cute, as they say. And I was sharing a house with a good mate of mine named Forbes at the time, and we decided to put the picture up on the bathroom wall just for fun. I don't know why. That's the sort of thing you do in your 20s, I guess. If you're in your 20s and you're listening to this, write in and tell me. Is that the sort of thing that you do, perhaps? I don't know. <laughs> I think we did it to shock visitors as much as anything. That's my excuse anyway. The next track is a track called Together from William Shatner's absolutely brilliant album from 2006 or thereabouts. It's a track called Together and just a really psychedelic sounding track. And the album that it comes from is just incredible, I think. The album has been, was produced by Ben Folds and it has Joe Jackson on it as well. It's got a, just a crack team of musicians playing on it and great arrangements. And you think of William Shatner and you think novelty and yeah, okay, 90% of the time that's the case. But this album somehow manages to straddle the two sort of aspects of, of novelty and serious at the same time he's actually written some of these lyrics himself to the songs and some of them are incredibly poignant some of them are really hilarious like really funny henry rollins is on there as well at one point but i definitely urge you to check out the album that this song together is from it's an album called has been the next track is by a band that i've discovered recently called men i trust and I don't have much to say about this except that it's just really groovy. I really like the sound of this. It's called Tail Whip. The next song, of course, is by Dave Graney and the Coral Snakes in their golden period in the early 90s. This is taken from the soft and sexy sound, and this is a song called I'm Gonna Live in My Own Big World, and I just love the sentiment of this song. And I remember someone actually saying to me that they heard this song and thought, yes, this applies to you, Mark. 
So when Dave Graney was in his golden period in the early 90s, I remember him being quoted as saying, I'm going to be as Dave Graney as I want to be. And I reckon that's just a great piece of life advice for anyone. Insert your own name there instead of Dave Graney. The next track is another song from the album that I was talking about in last week's playlist, which is by Mild High Club. And it's the title track of uh, the album Skip Tracing, which is another great song from that album. And then, of course, I've got my single, The Silent Crowd, at the end of this playlist as well. So please, if you enjoy the playlist, give it a like, share it with some other people. Feel free to take my song, The Silent Crowd, and build your own playlist around it. Things that you think fit with it or that you like that are in a similar sort of vein. And send it to me. Send me the link. I'd love to hear it. All right, that's all I've got time for this week. As always, I want to thank the following people for their support in alphabetical order. Thank you, Anthony Ray, Beck Godfrey, Campbell McNaughton, Jill Harvey, Gordon Thompson, Jody McNaughton, Justin Slay, Logan Sinclair, Lyndon Wesley, Neva Connell, Nicola Platt, Paul Appleman, Paul Richards, Pete Sim, Salman Khan, Sharon Swan, Sylvia Bucks, Warren McCall Jones, Barbara Renz, Paul Hughes, Natalie Guglielmi, Graham Hughes, Gloria Kennedy, and especially my ever-loving family, Helen Hughes and Bailey Hughes. Thanks so much for listening again this week. If you've made it this far, I thank you from the bottom of my heart. I'll be back next week with some more music and hopefully some more news, although there aren't many gigs on the horizon at the moment, unfortunately, with the things the way they are with COVID. But either way, thank you for your support, everyone, and... As always, don't forget to like, share, subscribe. Why don't you just like?